0: they cross the border and they find really incredible habitat immediately. All of the sky islands in extreme Southern Arizona are largely unpeopled, undeveloped. Um, There's no housing communities up in these mountains. These are still really wild uh, mountain ranges that they, you know, immediately find ample prey populations and, and water to sustain, to sustain them. And they, you know, they come and they stay for a really long time.
1: Thank you've always taken such a charge. Are you the You are listening to the Border Chronicle. Are you an inventor, or do you know an inventor? Welcome to the Border Chronicle. I'm Melissa Del Bosque, co-founder, along with Todd Miller, of the weekly newsletter and podcast about the U.S.-Mexico border from a border perspective. You can read and subscribe to our work at TheBorderChronicle.com. Last month, the Arizona-based Center for Biological Diversity confirmed an exciting discovery near the Arizona-Mexico border. The first sighting of a jaguar never previously identified in Arizona. Russ McSpadden, a Southwest conservation advocate at the center, has been tracking the jaguar population in the borderlands for several years The rare and elusive creatures once lived throughout the American Southwest, but they've nearly disappeared over the past 150 years due to habitat loss and government programs to protect the livestock industry. For decades, the Center for Biological Diversity has worked to protect jaguars, successfully lobbying for them to be listed in 1997 as endangered. And in December, 2022, the center petitioned the Fish and Wildlife Service to reintroduce jaguars to New Mexico and designate more critical habitat in New Mexico and Arizona. Russ, thanks so much for speaking with the Border Chronicle podcast about this exciting discovery and the work that the center and others are doing to bring back the endangered jaguar population in the United States.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Melissa. Happy to be here.
1: Well, first off, I'm hoping you can introduce the Center for Biological Diversity and its work and summarize the work that the center has done to protect the endangered jaguar population.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, the, you know, summarizing the center is, you know, somewhat complicated. We're a, we're a national environmental organization that's been around for over 30 years now. Um, And our main focus is the protection uh, of threatened and endangered species. Um, But we also, you know, work on a whole slew of issues, climate change and, um, you know other other programs of sustainability and and, um, and you know we've you know the jaguar has always been um, a flagship species um, for the center a species that we've you know worked for decades to protect um, you know we are the organization that petitioned to get the jaguar uh, listed under the endangered species act um, it was wrongfully removed from the endangered species act and you know, following um, uh, the death of a Jaguar in 1986 uh, and, and the reoccurrence of uh, Jaguars north of the border, you know, in the in the late 90s, um, the center, you know, made sure that Jaguars um, were listed and then also, you know, spent uh, the next couple decades through lawsuits and other legal actions and, you know, uh, campaigns in the community um, to see the jaguars uh, received you know the necessary critical habitat which is an important part of the endangered species act it's it's a designation that the federal government the u.s fish and wildlife service um, can place on the landscape um, which pretty much um, means that you know uh, using the best available science the fish and wildlife services determined these these um, habitats to be critical to the survival of the species and so you know we have critical habitat in southern Arizona, and critical habitat in New Mexico. Um, somewhere around seven hundred thousand acres, and you know we'd like to see um, a lot more. So we've petitioned um, for more. We'd love to see a million acres of critical habitat um, for jaguars in the Southwest.
1: I I wanted you to to talk about this this footage of the newly identified jaguar. Mm-hmm. How significant is it, and and what does it mean for the overall jaguar population um, on the U.S. side of the border.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is, it's always exciting news when we find out that a new jaguar has come north. Um, It means a lot of things. Um, One, it means that there's still habitat connectivity um, between, you know, jaguar critical habitat in the Sky Island mountains of southern Arizona um, with uh, Mexico. It means that you know, we, we do know that some of their corridors are still open, their movement, their really important movement corridors through the rugged mountains that cross the border um, are still open. Um, and it's just, you know, one more sign that um, the work of, you know, so many people and organizations and, and federal agencies um, is bearing fruit. This would be, this is the eighth um, cat to reestablish territory uh in the united states in the last three decades so there's been a slow but steady drumbeat of jaguars reintroducing themselves re-establishing territory you know the jaguars have always been in, in what is now the u.s southwest uh this is their native habitat the Skyline mountains the mogollon rim um and in this region and so yeah this is just you know proof of the tenaciousness of of jaguars they continue to return uh despite you know, all obstacles. Um, and so, yeah, it's really incredible. Um, and so, the, you know, uh, a wildlife enthusiast named Jason Miller, he captured really incredible footage um, in December of 2023, you know, released it uh, in the new year. And at the center, we were able to, to do the, the rosette analysis to determine that this was not any of the other known cats um, in the area and that this was an, indeed a new cat. Um, but we also learned recently, um, you know, other organizations have, uh, you know, gotten detections of this cat even earlier in 2023. Sky Island Alliance got a detection in May and in November in a separate mountain range, um, which is incredible. These cats have huge um, territories uh, that they roam. Um, and we also knew from earlier in, uh, in March um, that Border Patrol had actually gotten an image of a jaguar in the same mountain range that Jason did. Oh, the photo was a little blurry and we couldn't quite do the the rosette spot analysis on that, but it's very likely it was the same cat. So, you know, in some way we've known about this cat for about a year, but we just never knew uh, if this was a new cat or a cat we've seen before.
1: And of the eight separate Jaguars that have been identified over the last, I guess you said three decades, mm-hmm. they're all male, right? There haven't been any females and there haven't been any cubs right. identified.
0: Right. We, yeah, we don't, we do not have currently uh, any females uh, north of the border and haven't for some time. Um, you know, there was a female jaguar killed in Arizona um, in, the, in the 1940s. And, and the last known uh, female in the state was killed in 1963 in the White Mountains. Um, so we have not had, you know, what we could call a breeding population since then.
1: Yeah, and when you talk about the rosette analysis, can you uh, describe to listeners what that means when you're trying to analyze whether a a jaguar is different from another one that you've seen?
0: Right. You know, so none of our borderlands jaguars and the the northern population of jaguars have, you know, radial collars. Jaguars are very sensitive and that that can be really problematic for them. And so um, remote camera photos, trail cameras, um, are really what we have to understand the population and to understand individuals and so um, very much like the human fingerprint the rosettes which you know are really these spot patterns on jaguars are uh, determinative of the of the individual so you know if we have uh, you know we have dozens and even hundreds of images of jaguars from the northern population um, from various uh, studies around the region you know trail camera photos from all over and are able to you know look at any new photos and look at the sort of fingerprint the rosette prints on the cat and determine is this you know is this El Jefe is this um, Yoko is this Sombra these other cats that we know north of the border um, and we can do the same with cats we know south of the border and there was absolutely no match um, for this cat with any any other cat that had been in Arizona in recent years and could possibly be um, still here
1: but you don't know if it's male or female or we do or, now um, yes
0: we know now that it's oh. male from we couldn't tell from the original um, images that we have but but new images uh, verify that it is a male cat um.
1: And what's what's the population like in Mexico? Is there a much larger jaguar population in Mexico?
0: Yeah, in the state of Mexico, there's, you know, almost there's there's a few thousand um jaguars. Um and that number is is largest um further south. And in this northern range, this extreme northern range of the cat, that population is much smaller. Um the estimates there are inconclusive you know we don't we don't know exactly how many live and you know that northern mexico um is huge and wild and and um largely unstudied in terms of how many jaguars are here but you know there have been population estimates of you know 100 200 um or maybe more than that um in the north you know so when i say northern population i mean you know in Sonora, um, you know, in the Sierra Madre and, and that includes, uh, the jaguars that are in, uh, Arizona at any given time. This is one population. It's not two populations, but an American population and a Mexican population, they're all one population that are still connected by habitat connectivity.
1: Yeah. And are there any binational, um, studies being done looking at the, uh, at both populations.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's there are projects um, and mostly trail camera, remote camera pro- projects to you know identify population sizes, um, but that work is ongoing and there's there's um, still a lot more to be done. Um, you know, I was recently on a trip down to the Northern Jaguar Reserve in Sonora, Mexico. It's about uh, a, a little more than 100 miles south of the border um, from Douglas, Arizona. Um, and you know, it's a 55,000 acre reserve. It's not uh, sealed in, you know, jaguars come in and out of there. But when I was there, um, I was touring the area and checking cameras with the, the range manager, Miguel Gomez. And uh, he estimated there's about 12 jaguars in that area, in that 55,000 acre area, which isn't huge. Um, so there were 12 just there. Um, and this is just one area that helps protect uh, the northernmost breeding populations of jaguars. And, and among those 12 jaguars there, at least five of them were female. There was one cub that hadn't been sexed yet. So um, quite a few females there. And you know, they're in, the, they're in the foothills of the Sierra Madre and they run due north uh, into the United States um and so that's one pathway that jaguars um would take uh as they're you know moving north
1: right and and so the center has been working to get jaguars reintroduced into the american southwest what are the main barriers to this happening and why did jaguars become endangered in the first place if you could talk about some of the threats to to jaguars mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, jaguars have always been in what is now the U.S. Southwest, um, but, you know, like many places in the world, they, there's a lot of things that can impact uh, their presence here. And, you know, a, a really big one is, um, you know, in the 19, 1900s, there was a government predator control program that, that nearly extirpated jaguars um, from what is now north of the border. Um, and that was an effort largely at the behest of the cattle industry um, to, you know, to exterminate most predators um, in Arizona and New Mexico. And it was pretty effective. Um, they never fully wiped out jaguar populations here. And of course, they're, they reestablish um, from Mexico. Um, but, you know, habitat loss is just a huge factor. Any, any sort of development that disrupts habitat connectivity, jaguars, really do have, you know, this sort of need for huge territories and freedom to roam in their DNA, and so anything um, that, that uh, destroys, you know, that huge wide open space that many people associate with the U.S. Southwest um, think, you know, roads, border walls, big, you know, industrial open pit mines, those kinds of things um, can really uh, drive jaguars away, or block or just block their path um, along the way as they're trying to, you know, move between the Sky Island Mountains um, in, yeah. in this region.
1: Yeah, in in terms of, of the, you know, the jaguars that do exist in the U.S., are they all in Arizona? Uh, there's none at all in New Mexico?
0: You know, uh, there's the, the, the issue of what came first, the camera or the jaguar, um, you know, the, it's it's still this, you know, it's a very, very, wild rugged landscape out there and new mexico um could certainly uh currently have a jaguar present Um, but if there are no cameras um in certain areas and a jaguar is there we just wouldn't know they're highly elusive you know a perfect example is you know el jefe sometime in in 2011. Um, he's a famous you know famous jaguar that, that that entered the united states sometime around 2011. um and he you know entered the, the Whetstone Mountains and then the Santa Rita Mountains where he took up home for, you know, almost five years until late 2015. Um, and, you know, there were cameras there. There was a, a U of A camera program and, um, you know, we had cameras there and other folks had cameras there. And so El Jefe was um, noticed immediately and, uh, you know, he was, he was photographed, detected, you know, hundreds of times there. Um, and then sometime in late 2015, he just simply disappeared. He was no longer being detected in that mountain range. And he was not detected at all for seven years. And then he shows up on a camera in you know, 150 miles south in Sonora, Mexico. So where was he that whole time? Who knows? I mean, we only know uh, when uh, a jaguar crosses the path of a camera. And, you know, it's huge open country out there, huge rugged mountains, desert canyons, just a really expansive landscape. And uh, we, you know, we don't always know um, when jaguars are present or not.
1: Right. And you've been watching this population now for a few years. Mm -hmm. How does the border wall construction impact the jaguar population?
0: Yeah. So this, you know, this new jaguar, um, which very likely came up across the border, um, in the spring of 2023, um, he came up right after, um, you know, uh, a shipping container border wall was removed, um, from the area that, uh, he, cro- he would have most likely crossed into the United States from, you know, about a month after. Uh, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey's um, shipping container border wall was torn down um, and so it, he, this cat also represents um, the first cat that we've seen um re-establish territory uh, from Mexico into the United States since um, the Trump administration uh, built you know some 200 miles of border wall um, in Arizona um, You know one thing to note is that uh most of that border wall was built through you know low desert habitat um largely because you know it was a sort of a campaign promise to build you know build a lot of wall and um you know it's cheaper and easier to build through um the low desert than it is through the rugged um, jaguar movement corridors of the sky islands and these canyons that cross the border and so there's still um, great connectivity in places where jaguars would move now that the border wall has been absolutely devastating for wildlife um, in general and certainly has an impact on how jaguars would move across the border but there is there still is some pretty core um, connectivity that exists where where border wall doesn't exist in the present
1: yeah and you mentioned uh, sky islands a few times that might be a new term for listeners who don't live in Arizona, mm-hmm. can you talk about what a sky island is and and its importance to, to the jaguar population? Yeah,
0: sure. So, you know, a lot of people, when they think of southern Arizona, they think of the desert, which, you know, is definitely what we have down here. We have really beautiful Sonoran Desert. Um, it's one of the wettest deserts on the planet and one of the most biologically diverse deserts on the planet. Um, but what we also have are these enormous sky island uh, mountains um, that shoot up out of the desert, you know, and can and reach elevations of uh, 10,000 feet. Um, and, you know, they provide a whole host of biological diversity because there's so much elevation change that so much life um, has evolved there in these different, uh, you know, these different biomes that go up and down the, the mountain. But just to sort of think about um what's interesting about the sky islands is they they sit um you know they're often called um, the Madrean archipelago they sort of function like uh, stepping stones of islands that connect the sierra madre mountains which is a huge mountain range um, with the colorado plateau and so it's this interesting sort of uh, biogeographic transition zone that exists in the sky islands you know this is the place where uh, the biotic communities of the Colorado Plateau, you, you know, you can think like black bears um, sort of lumber down from the north, and they mingle uh, with the biotic co- communities of the Sierra Madre um, that co- that comes up from Mexico. So, you know, it's this really spectacular place, and it's, you know, the mountains are between the Sonoran Desert to the west and the Chihuahuan Desert to the east, and so this is a place where, uh, you know, biotic communities really kind of collide and and mix and kind of blur um and it's they're it's they're really fantastic mountains and so you can you know in one day you know you start at the bottom of a sky island mountain range it's sonoran desert you know saguaro cactus and um and that kind of habitat and then as you go up you know you might transition through five or six different biomes and biotic communities and by the time you reach the top you know, you're in aspen trees and Douglas fir and ponderosa pine. So it's it, it's uh, the sky islands. You know, there's there's about 47 of them between uh, Sonora, Mexico and the United States. And they're all, all really just jewels of biodiversity. Um, and that tends to be where we find jaguars uh, in this range. Um, uh, you know, we've seen them in, in, you know, almost a dozen of our sky islands in
1: southern Arizona. Yeah, before moving to Arizona I had no idea of the diversity of the ecosystems and sky islands and they're just so amazing. You can go from a hundred and five degrees in the summer to like seventy five degrees, you know, at the peak yeah. top of yeah. the mountain in about in about, you know, forty minutes you have this like massive uh, change in ecosystems and temperatures, and yeah. and everything else. Yeah,
0: thing my son, my son and I like to do every once in a while is is around this time of year. You know, it can be a uh, seventy five down here in the valley um, in February, and you can go to a desert canyon. You know, at the bottom of the Sky Island, and there's a hundred foot waterfall, and we can go swimming in that. Um, and then we'll drive, you know, up the Catalina Mountains to the top in the very same day, and throw snowballs at each other. You know, and so technically you could be both, um, you could get, you know, sunstroke and hypothermia um, all in a, in a five hour period um, based on your location um, on Sky Island down here in the borderlands. So they really are um, unique and spectacular. And, you know, they're, you know, they're a world recognized biodiversity hotspot and specifically, you know, Madrean oak forests um, in the Sky Islands, which are, you know, some preferred habitat of jaguars as well. Um, so that's you know that's hugely important.
1: And- yeah, and when you and when you say the valley, um, we're talking about Tucson. Yeah, I should yeah. add to our yeah, listeners sorry. that both Russ and I are both Russ and I are in Tucson right yeah. now, talking to each other uh, remotely.
0: <laughs> and there, there, you know there's something I would add um, to this this whole this whole story because you know we talk about you know there's been eight jaguars uh, reestablished territory in, in the last uh, 30 years. And, you know, a lot of people will hear that and think, you know, that's not a lot. And, you know, why does, why do these jaguars matter at all? Um, you know, I get that question a lot. And so I just think, you know, it's important to sort of touch on that. And, you know, for me, the big part is it's, it's really clear um, that the conservation of wildlife populations at the periphery of a species range is extremely important to the long-term survival of that of, of an endangered species, right? So the conservation of borderlands jaguars in particular, which is what uh, I focus on. Um, this is the population that that represents the current northernmost population of that species range. And it, you know, so it's critical to the ultimate survival of the species as a whole. You know, there's global climate trends and higher temperatures and drier environments that are pushing species north. Um, and we're seeing that with other species as well. Um, and the borderlands habitats for Jaguars will likely become even more critical, um, in the coming decades. Uh, you know, and just, you know, one, one, one thing about that is, you know, these, these, uh, these populations at the extreme periphery, like we have in the North, you know, th- there can be like really interesting genetic diversity that, that exists there, unique at- adaptations. These peripheral populations—they kind of exist in slightly different environments from the core populations, and that can lead to unique, unique adaptations and genetic variations. And you know, these variations can be really critical for the species' ability to adapt to future environmental changes or diseases that might, you know, wipe out uh, portions of the core population. So, you know, there's in the past, uh, not so much uh, today, but there was you know, there's been a lot of kind of coo-pooing about is this species, is this species population, is this jaguar population in the north? Does it even truly matter? Um, but, you know, I'm here to say um, that it does.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it boggles my mind that people would would question why jaguars are important, yeah. you know? I mean, they're just incredibly mm-hmm. beautiful species. Um what, what is their total range? Like, are they, how far north do they go? They don't reach Tucson, right? They're south of Tucson. And then do they range, how far down do they range in Mexico? Yeah, they
0: go all the way south in, in Mexico and then into Central America. Um, in, a, in, in terms of how far north do they go, just based on the data that we know, um, very near Tucson. You know, we've seen them in the Baba Kivris, um, in the Santa Arif- Rosa and the wet stones, these are all, these are like mountain ranges that sort of circle the southern perimeter of Tucson. Um, uh, And we have not seen them um, on camera north of I-10. I-10 is, you know, can present a a very difficult, the interstate 10, I should say, could present a very difficult uh, boundary for jaguars. But there are um, wildlife um, Underpasses through a few, you know, really important canyons um, that could provide that connectivity, um, and certainly, um, historically, jaguars existed far north of southern Arizona, um, with records, you know, all the way up in the, the rim of the Grand Canyon um, and up in the White Mountains and in these areas. Um, and so they certainly have habitat um, further north, but right now this is what we're seeing with the, with um, the jaguars that come north. They they tend they you know they cross the border and they find really incredible habitat immediately. All of the Sky Islands in extreme southern Arizona are largely unpeopled, undeveloped. Um, there's no housing communities up in these mountains. Um, there's you know some dirt roads, but but you know only only Mount Lemmon. And the Catalinas has a, a a truly paved road that goes up the mountain. So these are still really wild uh, mountain ranges that they you know immediately find ample af- ample prey um, populations and and water to sustain to sustain them. And they you know they come and they stay for a really long time
1: yeah so uh, I've got one last very important mm-hmm. question for yeah. you Russ has this uh, newly identified jaguar been named uh, does he have a name yet
0: uh, I've heard names bouncing around but there's been no conclusive name um, you know I the I believe the students in at the Tahona um uh, nation are working on naming this cat um, but I ha- you know there's no there's no name that I know of to announce yeah um, um yeah
1: oh very cool so we should hear soon mm-hmm. then they're 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 going going through the roster of potential yeah. names
0: well you know can I, I actually just on that on that topic could i add uh another thing yeah yes you know we we often you know we spend a lot of time talking about the sort of uh the the ecological significance of jaguars or at least i do but you know it one thing that often gets overlooked is the cultural significance of this of these cats you know and, and you know the jaguar has been you know held has held a revered place in you know indigenous communities wherever they've existed um and that includes in what is is now northern mexico in the southwest you know um are words for jaguar across you know many of the indigenous tribes of the american southwest the tona Otum. The Yaqui, the Diné, all have words for jaguar, um, and you know the return of the jaguar, and I've seen this personally. You know, can be a really potent symbol of cultural resilience as well. You know, reconnecting the present with the past. Um, you know, I've I've worked uh, to name um, three cats. You know, I, you know, help help communities name three of the jaguars that we've had in recent years. And um, back in 2017, I worked with kids at the Hayaki High School at the Pasquayaki Pueblo um, to name a jaguar that was living in the Huachuca Mountains at the time in Southern Arizona. And uh, they voted for the name Yooko, which is the word for jaguar in their native language, the the word in in Yoeme, which is the the Yaqui language. Um, And, you know, I spent some time, you know, we did some presentations with the kids. I worked with Conservation Catalyst, this other organization that's really amazing, um, that set this up. And you know, we worked with the kids and it was inspiring to hear the students, you know, describe this sort of this sense of cultural power that they were feeling, that they could express that word, Yooko, in their own native language, and to at the same time have their language expressed, you know, through the living presence of a Jaguar in the United States. And I'll never really forget it. You know, this one student told me, you know, I'm kind of um, paraphrasing, but he, he was he was saying that, you know, this was proof that the jaguar belongs here and proof that uh, the Yaqui language belongs here. And it was this powerful moment where you could see this interconnectedness with the natural world is, is parallel with interconnectedness with, with culture, you know. And jaguars and culture were once deeply, deeply interwoven in this region and i think we can see that come back um as well um and then could i just add one more thing (laughs) yeah yeah of course this is sort of builds off of this um you know we we're seeing that as climate change um you know alters landscapes you know in terms of aridity and, and and water and and, and, and everything, you know, the jaguars adaptability comes into play. I mean, as a species, they exist from Argentina to Arizona. And so they're incredibly adaptable. They live in some of the most diverse habitats um, on the planet, you know, from lush forests to Arab scrublands, um, And this really makes them, uh, I think, um, potential pioneers in a changing environment. And so, you know, I I tend to see their return as a signal even of a hopeful future, you know, where Jaguars resilience is not just ecologically valuable, but it's also sort of a compass for our own human resilience. Um, And so I just noticed this thing a lot, you know, I do a lot of work with students and and other community groups around Jaguars, just talking about them. Um, And I've seen how, you know, jaguars can foster a sense of sort of community strength. It's kind of, it's so beautiful to see. Um, and, you know, just the simple knowledge that a jaguar lives nearby, just immediately inspires celebration from people. And it really gets people to make this connection between conservation and the strength of their own communities. Um, and it, it's beautiful, you know, it promotes an affinity to the natural world, but also like a sense of power that, yeah, we can, we can fight back too, we can persevere, you know, jaguars can return, we can, we can do this, you know, and so Borderlands communities in particular, I notice are deeply proud of the place of their communities, and even their struggles as it relates to the return of jaguars in this northern range. I mean, the jaguars become this kind of flagship rallying call um, for a lot of people, and I just love that interconnectedness, I think it's, uh, it's really powerful and inspiring for me.
1: Yeah. And and what can listeners do to help the jaguar population? Um, Is there anything that people can do to to help?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, getting involved with um, environmental organizations is a good way. The Center for Biological Diversity, Sky Island Alliance, the Northern Jaguar Reserve. um, Those are really great organizations that are are all working to protect um, jaguars in different ways. Um, you know, Conservation Catalyst is another incredible organization um, that people can, uh, you know, reach out to and 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 find ways to plug in. Um, I think that's that's you know that's a good first step. Um, you know, we 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 see attacks on jaguar critical habitat all the time in southern Arizona, not just border walls, not just mines, um, but you know the constant threat of um, some kind of project happening within Jaguar Critical Habitat. And so paying attention to the news and reaching out to some of these organizations when when um, folks notice that there might be some impacts to the places that these big, beautiful cats need to survive, I think is a, is a really good step.
1: Yeah, well, th- thank you so much, Russ, for joining us at the Border Chronicle. And I will link to those organizations that you mentioned and to conservation and cultural uh, Mm -hmm. programs around uh, reintroducing Mm -hmm. jaguars into the United States. Thanks so much for speaking with us. I really appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to the Border Chronicle podcast. The Border Chronicle is reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This episode was edited by me, Steve Heiss. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us on your favorite podcast platform. It will help other people find the show. You can read and listen to more local border journalism on our website, theborderchronicle.com.